Uh, right. Welcome to Smarten Up podcast with uh, what was it called? JP and Fab. Smarten there you up. Go. Smarten Up with JP and Fab. There you go. <laughs> I don't even Thank know. You. <laughs> um, today we're we're meeting with uh, Dave and Dan um, from BM Select. Um, that's the name we're going with these days. That is the name we're going with. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, they did a, a rebrand a while ago, and uh, we'll get into that. Uh, Dave and Dan have helped me personally. Um, I believe they've helped Fab, but uh, they've been they've been helping me for uh, over ten years now. And, uh, and doing what we do. So these guys know what they're talking about. Let's get started. Right. So mortgages, man, what's happening here? It just keeps <laughs> changing. The rules just keep changing. Um, uh, let, let's, let's so actually, start I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to start at the beginning. Like wh- what is your focus? For us mostly, I, and first and foremost, thank you for having us on. It's a pleasure to be here with JB outside of the mortgage world and with UFAP. So thanks for having us on. Um, primarily, I mean, the basis of a mortgage, we arrange the financing for the purchase of properties. But our uh, specific focus mostly these days is investors and helping investors grow portfolios, uh, scale multiple properties, reaccess funds from their existing homes. So more so involved with investors and, and navigating through the different lenders, which is important for an investor to to know because they're they're all very valuable and they all provide independent <laughs> you know rules and ways to qualify with them so if you're an investor with multiple properties you have to learn your way through and work your way through the different banks so that's really where we focus whether it's refining and buying student rentals this that it's it's mostly investor purchases and how did we get into mortgages i i know david you have a background dan you've been introduced you've been in the picture the whole time but brought on uh, as partners recently. Like, explain how this all began. Yeah, I got. I was at U of T um, in my late teens, early twenties, um, and then Dan and I were always hustling. Like, we were involved in. We were running businesses since we were about fifteen years old. Um, the one right before mortgages, we were doing. We probably ran the biggest bookie bookkeeping operation. Bookkeeping, bookie, <laughs> bookie, bookie, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you call it, but we we did we we were running quite a little operation. Um, it started in high school, and it progressively got bigger and bigger. Once I got to university, um, there there was quite a few university students that liked to gamble. Um, so we especially at U of T, especially at U of T. Yeah, it's 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 made up of the the demographic there is is interesting. So um, yeah, we were just busy. I mean. Dan was running his angle on within our company that we had. I was running the U of T angle. Um, you know, so we were always in business together. Dan and I have been like brothers. So, um, yeah, my dad was in mortgages. I got out of U of T and I was like, what am I going to do? You're in such broad topics in university, like a BCom program. It's like you're going to be in finance. You're going to be in accounting. It's like, um, and it was nothing was really narrowed down for me. So uh, my dad was in mortgages. It just kind of made sense. I was watching the way they did business too. Uh, my dad, and my brother, they were soup. Like they really only looked at it from one side, just marketing. Like they were, it was like at the time there was these direct mail. It was a big thing for them. They bought lists and they then were able to access um, people's renewal dates. Really interesting to know like that 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 information was out there back this is back in like early 2000s so they would buy these lists they'd send out this pre um pre-written kind of uh email or sorry email is mail, that like you've been approved <laughs> no it was like hey your renewal's coming up uh you know which i'm sure shocked some people to know that just random people had that information but um your renewal's coming up we'd like to offer you and this was back 
again, early 2000s. So the banks weren't as aggressive on their renewals. And it was really like, that was like a mortgage broker kind of staple, like steal renewals from the banks. Um, so, and then I watched just how they, it was really, they're just, they were hyper-marketing. Um, and I remember looking at the business and being like, uh, I think you can go after real estate agents, build relationships, accountants, financial planners. Um, it just, that just made sense to me. Not only that, we didn't, it's not like we had big budget money for, to spend. I mean, we were, I was just beginning in the mortgage business. So, uh, 22 year old kid, you don't, I mean, we had money thankfully from the businesses that we ran, but you know, to compete with the big marketing mortgage companies, it just didn't make sense for us. Um, and not only that, I just saw, I saw the mortgage business was full of, and this isn't to put down people that are older, but it was really full of like an or really, it was like an old school, old guy mentality. There weren't a lot of women in it. Mm -hmm. There weren't um, there were a lot of youngsters. Like it's not like you were getting out of school being like, I can't wait to be a mortgage broker. So it was just, it was full of a lot of old people. And I, my first thought was, uh, we need to be the next generation of up and coming mortgage brokers. So um, Dan was at college at the time um, and he was also working a job and uh, I remember I did my first year. I wanted to go through one year before I brought Dan in just to make sure it made sense. And I went through the first year and uh, was really busy. Uh, and that was when I was, I said to Dan, you got it. You got to come. You got to, we, we need to do this together. And that was it. And we were off to the races and that's kind of how it started. I mean, he's uh, selling himself a little short because in that first year we worked for a brokerage mortgage <clears throat> intelligence who was yep. one of the larger at the time. And he won rookie of the year, right? Which was a big award at the time for somebody new in the industry, you know, had maybe, how long did you do an internship at your dad's office? Eight maybe? months. Eight months. So, you know, learning the business at his dad's office, then left that company completely, did his own thing with a completely new company and won rookie of the year. And at that point, that stays right. I was in college to be a police officer, believe it or not. That's what I thought I was going to do. And uh, while I was applying, that process can take a while. It can take years. You know, you apply, you, sometimes you get rejected. You got to keep applying. Uh, so while I was doing that, <clears throat> Dave had such a successful year and was so great at what he did. And, you know, naturally, I, I had the ability to follow him in business with some of the other <laughs> endeavors we came up with. So this was a natural fit. I mean, right away after the first year, I... I stopped applying to the police services and just I to maintain the income level because I mean you're 21 years old, 22 years old, uh, however old it was. Um, I, I bartended for a couple days a week, so I would work with Dave. You know, just sit and listen to him, make calls all day, and work at the restaurant on Fridays and at night. So that's how I started. And, and, and this is like uh, this is a success story. Success story. Uh, you guys hustled, and this is this is pain. Um, we hear a lot of people saying, I want to start a business. Like you have to hustle. You've got to work side jobs. You've got to, you have to, you got to hit the pavement. And we you guys knew it. the key to success back then was uh, we can uh, above anything else. We may know, we may not know as much as the older people in this business, but we will outwork you. We will stay up. I will outwork you. I will work weekends. I'll work whenever it takes to beat the competition. That was our attitude. Well, but here, here's the thing. Now that you guys are older, can you do that shit still? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, Dan does still. Well, I can't. You have to. The thing is, is you, the, the, what, what ends up happening is in time, you realize you're no longer necessarily, much like you guys, you're not an accountant, right? You don't do necessarily things from start to finish. You Time becomes an issue and you only have a certain amount of time for each client. So now you have to facilitate 
different parts of the transaction, things that, you know, we may find, well, look, you know, inputting things into a computer, I got to get somebody to do that. And, you know, maybe collecting documents from the client, well, I got to get somebody to do that because I have to do the more important underwriting and, you know, dealing with the client. But that then, you're now you're into the realm of running a business, which is different yeah. than being a mortgage broker because that brings its own challenges. As you guys know, staff come in, staff leave. There's challenges, growth, you know? Yeah, we've been, I mean, we're, we were trained as accountants. I mean, we really didn't learn tax in school. And we had to, one, teach yourself tax. You guys had to pretty much teach yourself mortgages. And then you become really good at it. And then it's like, shit. Now I got to <laughs> learn HR, legal. Yep office admin and dealing with like it's just marketing it's a lot <laughs> yeah so the hats are i mean you got your hat on but there's a lot of hats to wear <laughs> i actually a have a, a specific question um so i know your dad he's like a, a, a titan in the in the industry right and you went to work for him for a bit and then you went off on your own and that's actually kind of similar to like our situation my my father had a, his own cpa firm and um you know I finished a degree in philosophy. I'm like, okay, what the hell am I going to do with that? Right. So I started looking at law school. <laughs> yeah. He left law school, um, MBA, this, that, and the other. And I said, you know what, let me go work with my father for a bit. And I saw an opportunity there. I said, there's an opportunity in this industry accounting, right? So I'm going to pursue it. But the way I pursued it was I left, I left him and I worked for a couple of other firms and then started uh, on our own but didn't specifically go back with my father until my father decided to retire. And then we took over my father's book of business, right? Um, was that, did you find that that helped you? Because there are a lot of people, we have a lot of clients that they, they you know, they have children um, who may not want to take over the business, whatever it is. And, and, and before you go, and, and in hindsight, you would have probably been much more successful joining your father. So go to that point after would you have because you're successful now but if you actually had have teamed up with him would you have been more successful i don't think so um my dad and i are so different on just probably about every single thing except just that we like to be self-employed um you know and my brother is more of a soldier so he kind of you know and the truth is my dad and i we would I just knew we would butt heads. Um, we're both hard-headed. We both want to run our own ship. You can't have two captains on a ship. Um, and I think I thought at an early age that they were running, they were running their business. And this isn't to put it down. I just think they were running their business. It was like a race to zero. I mean, um, you know, their big thing is to compress their own margins and that seemed like you know like their their big win in the business is that they're willing to compress their margins more than anyone else and i just thought that that's sure i mean i guess you could call it a skill to be able to operate like that but i just didn't think that was a skill i thought it was much more skillful to make relationships foster those relationships um and then you know, you have to align yourself obviously with when you're making these relationships, you got to align yourself with people that are like-minded like you guys, like you guys, like obviously Tom and Nick at rockstar, you know, these are, you know, at, at companies, I wanted to align myself with people that also were in growth phases as opposed to people that were already there. Like I could have gone after like the old school realtors that had, you know, realtors, sorry, that had a lot of 
business or I could go after the younger up and coming ones. And I think that's skillful to be able to identify who is on the same trajectory as you and then who can you also work with? Because there's also then personality clashes. I think that, you know, the thing about my dad and my brother is that they have a way of doing business um, that's very technical as opposed to relationship-based. I don't think they're great at keeping relationships and I think that's something I am pretty good at. So it was really just focusing on what I'm good at and seeing what I'm not good at. Um, but yeah, I don't think like I, you know, I think I got what I needed out of the eight months at my, I worked at my dad's for eight months and I, I'm not kidding when I said, I was like, yeah, I got to go. Like I got to get out of here because the more I'm here, the more I'm going to get stuck in this like hyper marketing, don't care about your clients. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like, you know, like my, my dad, and my brother had no problem telling a real estate agent, like to go screw themselves. You know, I, that's, to me, that was crazy. I was like, wow, you just destroyed a source of business because of your ego, you know, and I don't think you need to have much of an ego in this game. You know, you can have an ego outside of the game, but inside the game, mortgage brokers need to see their place. Um, you know, you are to, you are never going to be the king of the hill. You're always going to be going, you know, trying to make relationships with the person that's the king of the hill. Um, but if you have an ego that's too big where you think you're the king of the hill, it doesn't work. So that was it for me. It was just simple. It was actually super simple. I was like, got to get out of here. Thank you for letting me learn the business. Got a jet. Got to start my own thing. I'm going to do things completely opposite of you guys. Literally opposite. Like I, even down to how I built like the different departments and how I built the internal side of the business. Um yeah, we, we like to do everything as opposite as possible. So. Um, and a weird thing is that we only actually ever came back together simply to save money. And, you know, so, you know, we went on, it was about nine years. And at that point, my dad and my brother's team were doing a good amount of business. Deanne and I were doing a good amount of business, but we were not independent. We were at more, each individual mortgage brokers. They were at an independent who nobody knew we were at mortgage intelligence. Um, but you pay out like when you're in a more, when you're at a mortgage brokerage, you are paying some of your commission to that mortgage brokerage. It got to a point where it was like, Whoa, we're paying out like a couple hundred thousand dollars each, his team and my team. So we had a discussion and it did make sense for us to start our own brokerage, continue doing things the way we did it separately, but just simply by, by having our own brokerage and being independent, we would now save quite a bit of money by not paying a brokerage house. Now, mind you, there were costs which kind of worked out because you now have to hire a compliance officer. It was really cool. I was able to take my mom out of a corporate job and have her become the compliance officer, gets to work from home, do her thing. So that was, you know, that was what it was. But, um, you know, we're, we're in, a, we're in a position now, uh, Dan and I, where, you know, we're, we're branching away from Butler mortgage. Um, you know, Ron and Will have done a great job with, um, you know, building the brand. Uh, on their side, we did a great job building the brand on our side, but our, but the Butler mortgage brand that Dan and I, um, were working with was getting confused with their Butler mortgage. It's very numerous times that we would get a call from a client who's like, Hey, yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked to your dad, you know, da, da, da. so a lot of times people would hear Dave Butler, let's say, or Dan Patton from Butler mortgage. Maybe they forget the name. They go online, they see Butler mortgage. They end up now 
getting serviced by the wrong people in the company. So that's actually how BM Select got formed because we were like, wow, we really need to separate ourselves in, you know, in, in that respect um, because our brand was getting mismatched. And you know, again, ours is service, theirs is um, rate and trying to spend the least amount. Like we're trying to spend the most amount of time with the client, they're trying to spend the least amount of time with the client. So imagine now you're an accountant, you send one of your really good clients to us, they end up by chance get stuck with the other side of Butler Mortgage. So now you've said, hey, go work with these guys. They're really good. They're going to provide you with the service you need. And then they end up with the other side of the company that is completely opposite. And so now I might get a call from you, you know, you guys going, hey, what the heck happened? My client called me and said they had a really nasty experience. And so, you know, hence why we really decided we had to make a change. And that's where BM Selects come. And there's actually more moves coming in the future, um, you know, that we will we'll hopefully be able to share with the public soon. But um, you're going to open your own bank. Uh, well, we've got, there's a lot of things actually going on at the current moment. So like we're, we're, we're in a position where, um, we're gonna, we're gonna make some moves that are beneficial to our brand. Um, and that might mean rebranding again. You never know. I mean, that's at the end of the day, the cool thing about Dan and I is it's us, it's our business. We could put slap whatever name on it. At the end of the day, it's service in our relationships. So whether we're XYZ or we're ABC, um, our relationships are built Everyone that works with us knows, you know, we eat, breathe, sleep mortgages. And if you're looking for that service first type environment, that's where to go. So. Yeah, I've met, I've met the team. I mean, the team is, the team's awesome. Let's, let's kind of move here. How many, how many millionaires do you think you've made over the years? <laughs> this is an amazing question because I, I know you have, you've made how many, if we, you had to we, put a number I, I, I believe we can claim that we've made more real estate millionaires than any other brokerage. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to see the number. I mean, yeah. we don't. If you had to guess a hundred. Well, look, you got, if you do some, some basic at the base level numbers, you know, you take investors, Dave's been working with investors for the better part of 15, 16 years. Right. So those people were buying properties in Milton, $300,000, you know, Hamilton, $300,000. And since then you look at the numbers, I mean, those $300,000 houses are probably worth eight, nine, sometimes million dollars. Some of them have been converted to duplexes and triplexes. So right. what most investors, the, the, one of the great things about investors is when they see returns like that, especially over the last five years, when you look at the trajectory of, of, of housing, the gains are so amazing and the money is so cheap to come back and reaccess those gains to do everything that you just did all over again. It's a no brainer for a lot of these investors because the returns are so amazing. So you look at that 15 years of doing that with investors. And I mean, you take one guy who maybe bought, you know, a few properties with a hundred, 200 K down 15 years ago. I mean, you know, how many deals gotta do you be, think we would be? It's got to be at least a thousand, I figure. Yeah. At least a thousand. Because I mean, millionaires. Dave's yeah. sitting here running numbers in his head. <laughs> yeah, I'm, numbers like, I'm like, we're like, <laughs> you know, you're doing over a thousand deals a year. I mean, we've been, we have been working with investors almost since the onset of our career. I mean, it was, yeah, it was probably 2005. So, I mean, you're like 15, 16 years. And now, don't get me wrong. Some of these people were already millionaires when they came to us, but it was from not from real estate. They were millionaires from their own careers. Um, but definitely, I would say that at least a thousand investors we have, you know, helped. I would because we're not, you know, the real estate agents are the ones finding it. You guys, as their accounts, are putting them in touch with us. So, I mean, it's a whole group effort to get them um, to that net worth. But 
at least a thousand investors. But then that's the other thing too. There's also the mortgages that we've done for your first time buyers. Let's say, you know, back in, again, we've been doing mortgages since now 2003. So 2002, 2003, I mean, imagine again, as Dan says, you bought a house in 2003, you know, you're, and you still have the house today, you're a millionaire. That's you know true. I mean? So uh, it's a lot. And, and, and why real estate investing? Why did you get into real estate investing? Oh, uh, that was simple. Instead of, I mean, if I look at it simple, it, you guys get paid out on on the value of mortgage yep. that you're giving. Okay, so if if I'm looking at starting this business, I'm saying, okay, to sell three investment properties or sell one house. Yes. So why, for me, I always look for the easiest, simple solution. But yeah. why, why investments? It was the easiest thing. It was, I mean, it was just pure numbers. I mean, Dan and I are numbers guys. Like we're, everything's numbers to us. So it was like the, I remember a stat had come out when I started in mortgages, they said, you know, you'll, you'll work with the same client once every three years. You know what I mean? So then it was like, okay, well, why don't we work with investors? Cause they'll buy maybe five properties in a year. And now, you know, we're getting paid per deal. We're not getting paid per client, as you as you said, right? So, I mean, uh, for us, it was it was just the most simple thing in the world. It was like, wait, why are we going after the same clients everyone else's first time buyers? You know, people that currently own houses that want to refinance. Um, we played that game. We did it well, but where we really changed was like we were, we got again. We got really lucky. Like we got there was there was a big big luck factor there running into people at the right time who were just starting out their careers. And again, I mean, luck, skill. I mean, we looked for that angle and then luckily the people that we worked with all blossomed and their companies all grew. But um, you wanna do one mortgage for a client every three years, you do wanna do five mortgages for a client in one year. So that was that was it. And me. I assume if you're good at getting the investment properties, when that person is ready to move, you get the personal property. Are, are you seeing a lot of not getting personal properties or? You're getting most of them. Yeah, we, we do. It's it's tough. You know, that's it's, it's tough to be a mortgage broker these days because you exist in a world as a mortgage broker where you can only deal with two banks, right? So when you're a mortgage broker, you can only deal with TD and you can deal with Scotia. Okay. Amongst the big, amongst, amongst the lenders the that banks, we can work with. Right? And, and many other lenders, alternate lenders, smaller lenders when you're doing insured deals. But amongst the big banks where investors primarily want to place their mortgages, you're limited to two. That's it. So when you're buying owner-occupied properties, you guys know this better than anybody, the rate is a little bit more sensitive to the buyer because right. it's non-deductible, right? When it's an investment property, the the, the relationship between the bank and the investor, it's a funny one because when you're an investor, you know, we're used to, we have assets. We usually have strong applications. We have income. We have things like this. So you're used to buying things and them say you walk into a store, you pick up a shirt, you buy it, you walk out. Nobody says no to you. But when you're an investor and you're buying investment properties, the bank doesn't necessarily value the mortgage as much as we think they should, right? They The profit's not necessarily made on a mortgage alone, right? When a bank's bringing you in with the mortgage, the idea is to draw more value in credit cards and banking accounts and things like this, right? Show value over the long term, which may be, you know, beneficial. But the investor's not looking for anything like that. What's the investor looking to do? Investor's just looking to park a mortgage at a good rate. So the bank recognizes that. There's not a lot of value. So if they don't like your deal, if they don't like if they don't think you're a good landlord, if they can sometimes some banks will look at your your what they call a DCR, which is a 
like a worksheet for rental, a rental worksheet. And they'll say, if your properties aren't cash flowing, we're just going to decline you. We don't care if you have the money to back it up. We don't value. So the, 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 I, I forget the original question, but the, the, the value in the relationship from the bank to the investor isn't necessarily what we think it should be. Yeah. And I mean, what happens is, is then, you know, we, we probably get, because the clients and we have very good relationships with our investors, when they are buying their owner-occupied home, yeah. we will do quite a few of their mortgages. But... At the same time, let's say my client currently has their owner-occupied property with BMO as an example. We've gone and gotten them all these other mortgages for their investment properties. But BMO does is, is in the ballgame. So when they sell their home and they're going to go buy another one, um, they're probably going to look at going to BMO and getting a great quote too. And more importantly, we tell them go to BMO and get a quote. Like it, we don't, that's the thing I, Dan and I, we're, we don't care about, we don't have to get every single mortgage for that investor. And this sounds corny and it is, but we actually only care that the investor or the client gets the best that's out there. We know that in the investment game, when you're buying rentals, we can get them the best out there and we can also guide them the best, right? No one at BMO is going to sit there and go, you should get your mortgage from Scotia because they're the better one to get when you're buying your first two rentals. The BMO guy's just sniffing that commission and saying, yeah, 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 come here, come here, come here. That's not the best for the investor, but that's because we have to game plan for that. The difference is when it's owner-occupied, it should be whoever's got the best rate, right? right? Because there's no planning involved there. It's an owner-occupied home. So we will actually say to the client, look, you're with BMO right now. We can get you this rate from Scotia or TD, but go to BMO and tell them what rate we got you and see if they'll match it or beat it. And that a lot of times the current lender will want to keep their business. No problem. We're working with that client. See, we don't, a lot of brokers would get upset at that. Be like, oh, you know, you're not being loyal to me. Wait, we're doing all your mortgages for your investments. We're doing all your planning. Like we're not, we are not greedy. I think that's probably one of the things that Dan and I can say that's much different than us is we, greed is definitely not even in our lexicon. We don't even think like that. To be honest, when you're this busy, and you can hardly handle the amount of files you are getting on a daily basis, it's kind of stupid to get angry about a client going and getting a better rate somewhere else. I mean, we our clients are still loyal to us. They are going to come back to us, and they they value what we're there for. Right. Uh, but I think that answers the question. Yeah, no. And, I, I have a specific question, actually. Just to put this in context for people who don't know you guys, what's your annual deal flow normally? Uh, last year was like 1,200 plus. And that's just on our on our internal side. Like we also do have, like Dan and I have some outside agents that throughout the years, we we felt that they had the same likeness as us. Right. And they, you know, for instance, Dion, like Dion's a big, he works with investors as well, but he works on the east side. So he's like really east side, like Peterborough, you know, like Whitby, that kind of, a lot of my clients and Dan's clients are like more central to, I guess we would say west of mm -hmm. Toronto, Toronto and west. Um, so Dion back in the day worked at Centum. Um, they're a pretty big mortgage brokerage, but he actually came as a client through one of the investment clubs and we met and he really liked what we were doing investment. He told us what he was doing as a mortgage broker. And uh, within like six months, he left his mortgage brokerage to come work with us. Now he doesn't work in our team. He's an outside agent. Um, he just, you know, we we brought him on because we thought that he had the same ideas as us. And we think it's cool that 
you know, and he's become a big, pretty big broker. I mean, the guy's going to write like almost $200 million in volume this year. Um, you know, so we, Dan and I and Dion, we share ideas. We share a lot of like, like, hey, what's going on out there? How are your investors reacting to this? Um, we did that because we thought it would be smart to have some really like-minded people outside of our, because we, a lot of times I feel like you can get caught like in just your little circle. So it was really important for us to have a couple people outside of us that we could always like, find out what's going on outside of our circle because inside our circle we get really just tied up we're busy and it's really easy without guys like you guys as well like we wouldn't know what's going on outside of just banging mortgages out 14 15 hours a day right, right. so but yeah so we do have a couple but to answer your question i think it's about like last year was like 1200 this year's gotten stupid though like you know um this year has been the craziest year I've ever seen. Like, just to give you a, a, some perspective, our team, like our internal team, I think funded like 500, 500 million and change last year in volume for the entire year. And that put us number one in Canada. We're already at like 400 and change after six months. So it just gives you, an, and that's, it's hard. Like when you're, when you're doing big volume to make even a 10% increase, like holy smokes, that's because, $50 million in extra volume, we have to staff that up. Now imagine you're going to do like approximately an extra $300, $400 million in volume in an entire year. So suffice to say, our staff, like in when we went into COVID in March, our staff was about 16, yeah. 17. Our staff today is like 35, 36. That's oh, wow. Right? Good for you guys. Yeah. Well, but it comes with its own challenges because the thing for us is we, we then have to deal with the banks, right? And the problem with the banks is they don't necessarily have the ability to hire staff at the pace we do. So their existing staff gets saddled with all that extra work and they're busy and they're overwhelmed. I mean, we see... We see it every day. People at you know lawyers' office or you know real estate office or you know bank people break every day. They, yeah. That's how busy the market is. It's lit. when Dave says it's gone insane. It's no joke. Anybody that's in Southern Ontario can attest the market's gone crazy. Yeah, yeah. good crazy. Let's go back crazy. to to the banks just so everyone understands. Um, how many? Uh, five big banks. Six big banks. Six yep. big banks. Only Scotia and TD will so deal with, they with, don't want to pay. Direct. So this is the sort of world that we live in because investors, it's very important to know your options at every bank. And we're very open about that, right? You can't just be limited to Scotia or TD who independently have great product, but they look at things differently. The amount of properties they let you have, how they calculate rental income, whether they want tenants in the property, it's all very different. So as an investment specialist, you know, mortgage broker, we have to exist in a world where, yes, we, we could work with our lenders and yes, we can refer business to the outside lenders when that's needed as well, which is something that makes us truly unique in the sense of, you know, Dave mentioned it earlier, you know, if you go to CIBC for your mortgages, you have a great application. Well, CIBC is going to tell you, great, let's do all your mortgages, keep them here. It's amazing. We'll, we'll, we'll make everything easy. But as soon as you get to say five properties with them, that's it. They have their limit like every bank does. And they're going to tell you. So independently, getting advice from a bank directly is tough because ultimately their loyalty lies to the bank, to the employer. They're going to want to do your deals. They're not often going to tell you, we'll go somewhere else and get five deals and then come back to us. It doesn't happen. So we, we operate in a world where we deal with banks, where we refer business there when it needs to go there, and we can send it through our channels when it needs to go through our channels as well. Right. So it's sort of an in-between world of a broker and a bank. And, and, and we, I mean, we do a lot of, I mean, I would say one of my focuses is small business and anyone who wants to invest in real estate. That, that's, what, that's my ideal target is 
someone who has a small business wants real estate in their portfolio. Um, the number one thing for me is is to look at it and then really shoot it over to you guys. Yep. I mean, what do you think the, the best steps for someone looking to develop a portfolio getting up to 5, 10, 15 properties? How do they do that now? And th- this is just to clarify. This is for residential. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, because yeah. some no, people yeah. might be thinking like we're talking yeah. about commercial or foreign properties. This is residential Strictly Canadian residential. properties. So, and let's residential for the most part is four <laughs> units or less. So, right, fourplex or less. RBC will consider a fifth unit as residential, but four units or less is, is, is residential. Yeah. To go, I mean, just to go back to your other question, um, like in the broker channel, when I first started in mortgages, we had access to Scotia, TD, BMO, CIBC, um, and National Bank. So that's five of the six. The only one that wasn't in the channel was RBC. So this is early 2000s. And then as the years went on, uh, BMO, they weren't, they didn't have a lot of traction with the broker channel. So they just, they just left. CIBC, which was really weird at the time, CIBC uh, was the number one bank through mortgage brokers in like, for all the, when I had started my career, and out of the blue, we just got an email one day saying CIBC is leaving the mortgage broker channel effective like December 31st of whatever year it was. I mean, it might have been like 2007, 2008. I can't even remember. But um, so that was interesting. And then so now you got, you know, one that's not in RBC. BMO leaves. CIBC leaves. Now you're left with National Bank, Scotia, TD. National Bank leaves the broker channel like five years ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. Now we left with two. Now, thank God, if you were to ask me, like, what two banks would I want left if I only had the choice, it would be Scotia and TD. Um, but it really has created a, a different way of mortgage brokering. Um, you know, because a lot of mortgage brokers would, you know, they'll go, they said, no problem. Like, most mortgage brokers, they're not working in the same world that Dan and I in with investment properties. So they, to them, banks leaving, they're like, oh, no big deal. I'll just go to one of the other smaller lenders. Well, a really big thing happened about five years ago that no one really talks about because no one really knows how it happened. But five years ago, the government made some major changes behind the scenes to securitization of funds. And what this did in the end is it yielded a situation where the smaller lenders could not, such as First National, Merrick's, MCAP. These are big mortgage lenders, but they're not banks. But the language in the rule changes was that the smaller lenders, the non-major banks, could not effectively compete on conventional mortgage business. And conventional mortgage business is when you're buying a home with 20% down or more, or you're refinancing a home that currently has 20% equity. Also there, rental properties. Now, the smaller lenders were shut out cannot lend on those. And they deals. stopped them from doing 30-year amortizations. I, I remember that. I remember yes. that. Yep. So yeah. this was they used huge. to be able to do that. I'm confused then. So how did they shut them out of, of the rental? It like, was all about the securitization because back, no one knew this. We had to explain, like, this was a crazy thing because we would explain to clients all the time. Like because back, this is, but back then people would be like, why aren't you taking our mortgage to someone like First National? And we would have to explain to them that, gang, Every single conventional mortgage back then, even any time that was not through a major bank, had to get CMHC insurance. But what would happen is the clients never knew because the lender would eat the premium. It was a small premium. The lender would eat the premium. Fine. 
So no one knew. Like we would send a commitment. If, if you bought a home at 20% down payment, I sent you the first national commitment and I sent you a Scotia one, it would look identical. Be no difference. So you would think, oh, they, these guys can lend on this. But behind the scenes, Scotia not paying a CMHC insurance and the smaller lender was. But five years ago, the government came in, government, CMHC, obviously super tied. So they made a change to the securitization of the money where the cost would be too high. So now the lenders said, we can't eat these premiums, right? So therefore they said, well, the banks can do a rental property mortgage with no premium, or we can do a rental property mortgage with a high premium and a higher rate now. So they just realized we're not gonna sell this product. So they took it away. But effectively, in, in essence, the banks got a monopoly now on all rental mortgages. And what do banks, smart people do when they realize they have a monopoly? They up the price. So that's why now if you notice owner-occupied mortgages at a bank will get one rate, and if you're buying a rental property, you're gonna get a slightly higher rate. Um, so that it was a huge thing that happened five years ago. No one talks about that, but that was like a major, major, major shift in mortgage brokering, especially if you work with investors. So for us now, imagine we literally now had two lenders, Scotia and TD. And that was when we decided we were going to make a major push. We were going to forge relationships with outside banks. This is where things get tricky. We can't get paid by those outside banks. Now, the cool part is, is that Scotia and TD, and hopefully this stays like this, they are extremely beneficial to use for an investor when you're buying your first, you know, usually one to five, one to eight properties, hopefully one to 10 if you can get it. And then the other lenders actually have a bit of an advantage over those, over those banks. So for us, we really looked at it as more of a, hey, we could sit here and start charging fees to our clients when they're going, when we're taking them to these outside banks. So we would actually do the same work almost find a BMO guy, find an RBC guy, send them everything. They would then reach out to the client, do their own thing. But we were effectively doing the same job that we normally would if we were sending it to TD in Scotia and not get paid on it now. Because and still responsible for the for the way that that transaction goes down, right? Because I mean, if you're doing the intro to the bank for the client, ultimately that's it's your word. So, no, which is fine, no pay, the investment's in the client, but you're also responsible. So you're still troubleshooting through yeah, that. So now deal. you gotta make sure you have the right people. Like we yeah. could find someone at a bank that's willing to work on our investor, our investor client files. But like if the guy's an asshole or he's terrible at getting back to clients or he's just sloppy, that's a reflection on us because we're actually the quarterback. Like a lot, all the investment clubs we work with say, I don't, I'm not working with your guy. We're working with you, Dave and Dan, and you make sure your guys are in line, right? No one wants to, like that's our also our pitch when we're working with investment clubs, say, look, we're one-stop shop. Yeah, we have direct access to TD and Scotia, but we actually have access to all the banks. And the first question they ask is, well, are you, like, am I gonna have to meet this other person? No, we handle everything. Right, we're not getting paid on, on on those deals, but we don't care because, again, for us, it was always the relationship with not only the referral source but with the client long term. Right, many, many even though we might not be able to do this particular mortgage for the client, we have to put it through our BMO guy or our RBC guy or a CBC guy. We know at the end of the day, we will work with that client on other properties, on other mortgages, and more importantly, because we are known in that situation with the client as the quarterback referrals will come to us as opposed to the external source. Um, so that was, that's was that been big. But to answer your question about the banks, yeah, there's six big banks. They have a monopoly on the rental property, uh, basically mortgage um, hub, if you will. 
and uh, we have access to 33% of them directly through a mortgage broker agreement, but the other 66% we don't. So we've actually had to forage outside relationships. And in, 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 a, in a turn, in a, in a twist of fate, and which was lucky for us, because we have garnered such a reputation in the investor mortgage side, we actually have had some of these outside banks actually reach out to us directly to say, hey, we don't wanna work with mortgage brokers, we don't work with mortgage brokers, but we will work with you guys. Now, again, it's a non-paying relationship, but it's at least now we don't have to hide and scurry around like we do sometimes. We can actually say, yes, we work directly with this bank. And you know, and again, we're not getting paid on it, but that was never a thing. And that's why I go back to the thing about greed, like Dan and I are greedy. We always said, look, we'll get paid. If we do our job to the best of our ability, we will be well taken care of. And I mean, just to give your listeners a bit of a scale there, in my first year in this business, in my first, very first year, I was 22, 23 years old. Um, and this isn't to brag, this is more so to give ideas of why it's not not a smart move to be greedy in this business. I did make $171,000 as a 22 year old. You know, so, and that was back when the volumes were very low. If you look at where the volumes are. So for us, it was always a thing of, hey, if you do your job really well, you will get paid. Don't worry about every other broker in this business is going to be nickel and diming and being like, oh, I didn't get paid on this deal. I'm upset. Dan, we need to be different. And that was always like, it's a, it's a really cheesy analogy to steal, but like we really did always go to where the puck wasn't, not where the puck was. Right. It was it was it was simple for us. It was like where all these old guys, and, and, and it goes back to another point, what Dan was saying, like the old guys couldn't work as hard as us. It's two things. Maybe they could have worked as hard as us at times if they wanted to. But at 40, 50 years old, you're a mortgage boy. You got kids, man. You got you got to go home. You got a wife. We were in our early 20s. We had, we had nothing other than just gumption to kick ass. So it was like, okay, we can outwork these guys and they can't even compete with us on time. You know, but that leads to bad things. I mean, I ended up having a fucking heart attack at 38 years old and almost right. killed myself because of our, A, our desire to be number one and B, um, our inability to see any damage we were causing our own personal lives because we were just so hard-headed. We were like, we're going to be number one and we don't care how we get there. Sounds like sweat equity marketing right there. <laughs> <laughs> with, with an exclamation point at the end. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I was really interested in, I've been waiting uh, to touch on, you know, we run into first time investors or people that, you know, they have one or two rental properties and they really want to scale it up, right? What are your tips for people that want to scale it up, right? And I'll give you a, just a, some examples. So this is very different than people, you know, we have uh, certain clients that are into apartment buildings, for example, more than four units. And that's something completely different from what you guys do is my understanding. And what they'll do is they'll buy these apartments, they'll fix them up, increase the rent. Now you're able to get more leverage on that particular mm -hmm. one. You move to the next one. That kind of strategy, I don't know if it works um, with residential properties, duplexes, single family homes, condos. Yeah. We, what, what are your tips? We, we definitely do. We do a lot of commercial multifamily. So anything over, to be fair, we were really specialists in the residential yeah. and then, you know, as 18 Dan, months, yeah, roughly 18 months now to two years, we've okay. been really doing more of the commercial because as you, what we find is some investors, once they buy residential, they want larger numbers. They want bigger margins. So they're going to look at stuff. So that's something just naturally we had to adapt to anyways. But strategy, I mean, look, is, is when you're starting out, there's nothing wrong with the bank 
product. We love the bank product. We love the rate. We love the more. We love it all. But you need independent advice if you want to scale your portfolio. It's the, it, you have to. So you have to go to not only a mortgage broker, but you have to go to a mortgage broker that works with all of the different banks. That's truly the only way you're going to get you know bipartisan advice, right? Which lender should I go to in this? Now, when you're talking about the actual investment in terms of strategy, well, should I do conversions? Should I buy single family? Should I buy duplexes? Uh, to be honest with you, in my mind, a lot of that comes down to your coach or your real estate agent that you're working with, because that's the next thing I would say is aside from a mortgage broker, you better surround yourself with a strong coach or real estate agent that knows investors and knows what they're doing. And then and, an account. And, and an account a hundred percent. Of course, you have to build a team, a lawyer, right? You have to, you build your team of people, but the realtor or the coach, whichever you know version it is, they will help guide you. You know, if you're a first time investor and you're buying single family and you're saying, well, look, I want to buy, you know, I want to buy something that cash flows more. Well, maybe you want to look at a duplex, but maybe there's no duplexes. So maybe you want to look at a single family home that you can convert into a duplex. That's where your coaching or your real estate agent will really have a leg up and be able to walk you through those numbers. So strategically, it's as simple, Fab, as working with people in this industry that are familiar with investors. You have to build a good team. Yeah, we've seen a lot. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of our clients, i.e. our investors, shift their focus tons. I mean, and, and actually more so in the last five years than the first 15, first, sorry, 10, first 10 years of us working with investors, it was almost like commercial was like, stay away. Everyone was staying away from it. I know there were still people. Yeah. Like it was all rent to own. It was, it was just, you know, scaling up on the residential side. Um, but it was easier back then, believe it or not, back then we used to be able to tell a client, yeah, look, based on our relationships with all the banks that we work with, and remember there were more banks in the broker channel. So we were able to look an investor in the eye and be like, we could probably get you 15 to 20 properties. Nowadays, that's, the way that the banks now, again, because the banks have a monopoly, they banks don't want their clients to have 20 properties. They actually don't want that. That's actually not what they're looking at. That scares banks. Um, so they have all been able to kind of curb and make it harder to accumulate, which is why to go to Dan's point, if you don't have an independent, if you don't have independent advice from multiple different sources, but on your mortgage side, if you're not working with a broker that, that has access to all the banks, then tell me how that's beneficial for them. Because literally now, and that's why Dan and I think, again, the greed thing and working with outside banks, other brokers are too greedy, we think. So they want to get paid on everything. So they don't want to work with outside, with outside banks. Um, so therefore, they are doing their clients and investors a disservice by only offering TD and Scotia. And then, this is the crazy part, if the client now is maxed out with TD and Scotia, the broker, what we hear from our clients that, you know, or, or people that have come to us and told us what other brokers do, they'll push them into B mortgages. B mortgages with higher rates, not as advantageous for your margins then if you're an investor. So they basically go Scotia TD and if you don't go there, they send you to a B lender or a crappy mortgage, right? Whereas we will go Scotia TD, once you're maxed out, we're gonna move you to the next leg that we feel is is for you and your journey, which is either going to be, let's say BMO, CIBC, RBC, National Bank, we're then going to push you there. And when those people max you out, we're going to get you to the next bank and the next bank. Um, so, I mean, to answer the question, definitely as Dan did, it, it's independent, having the right independent advice, um, but then building a team as well. Like are all investors that we work with that have done well, that have like five, 10, 15 plus properties, not one of them 
is is without a good accountant, a good real estate agent, <laughs> a good um, lawyer. If you don't have that team surrounding you on this, you can't scale this. But that's, I think the answer is you got to have the right team around you. Right. I mean, it, it really, it's a business. When you, when you, you know, if you buy one, you buy a rental property, like a condo or something simple. Okay. That's an investment. But when you, when you start scaling it up, it's really, I think it's a business, right? It, it has is. to be run like a business. You have to have a policy on how, okay, this is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to treat the tenants. These are the type of tenants I want. This is the area that I want to be in. You know, you're going bouncing back and forth between accountant, lawyer, mortgage broker, uh, your realtor. It's a, really a business, right? A hundred percent. I mean, that's, if you're not treating it as a business though, in my opinion, as an investor, once you have five, 10 plus, if you're not treating it as a business, you are now, you know, you are not on the same level as a bunch of other guys. You guys have clients that you know of that have the portfolio. They treat it like a business. They might have a, their own business on the side that they do, but they also treat their investments in real estate as a business. I actually treat it as a game. I, I, <laughs> game I, business, I, yeah. I, I kid you not. I treat this as a game. And the reason why I do is because there's rules. So you guys know what I did. Yeah. I, there was rules in place. The banks, I had a really big mortgage. The banks... One, I have to declare so much income, which we don't want to because I don't want to pay tax. So I try and declare little income, but the banks blend based on your income, unless you want to go to a B lender. Then, you know, I'm paying over over tax. I'm not getting qualified because I have a big mortgage. So I, what's the game? Yeah. Sell my property. Now I'm renting. I'm renting more for what my carrying costs were. But all of a sudden, I'm approved. So I mean, that's the game. There's a there's a system in place. It's fit inside our box. That's a bank. You have to fit inside our box. The bank's not there when, especially with investments, to adjust their rules to get you approvals. That's the wrong perception for the investor. The perception needs to be exactly like you said, JP. What do I need to do to fit inside their box to get the approval? Exactly. Yeah. So anyone coming to me, it's it's uh, you know, it's like I want to buy a property. It's like hold on, stop. And, and that's why, like, when I transition stuff to you guys, it's, I want to know everything. I, I need to know your family. Yeah. I need to know your house, how much you have in it. Yeah. Do you have a cottage? When, or do you want a cottage? And are you about to buy your principal residence? It's like, no, stop. Don't buy a principal residence. Let's go buy a bunch of rentals. And then we'll go buy a, a property because... You know, having rentals on you, what they claim, what, 75% of the rental income, 85%? Depends on the lender. You know, so th to me, this is a game and I love playing this game. <laughs> yeah. No, you did, You know what though? You did it. You were actually one of the very few people that it seemed like took your ball and decided like you're going to play your own game and which was cool. I remember you came to me that one time and I think at some point you had like seven properties and then you're just like, yep, selling everything. Selling it all. I decided I'm going to do this and you, you had a game plan. And the cool thing about you was... It's not like you didn't just fly off the handle and decide you were doing this. You came to me, you had a game plan, You we talked about the future, this is what you're planning on doing, Andrew and I are gonna do this, Andrew, so this is the move. And I actually always appreciated that um, You know, on my side, it makes things easy, right? And not only that, it was funny to think in a weird way that in retrospect, once you decided to re-enter the game because you did your thing, you sold them off, and then you're re-entering the game in certain spots. It was kind of cool because at that point it was easy to qualify you. You know what I mean? So it was like, you know, it was cool. But you brought up a really interesting point, which is like, you want to know everything about your clients. You want to know about their kids, stuff like that. And we always thought the same thing. We were like, how could you be giving someone 
any type of advice, whether it's mortgage advice, financial advice, accounting advice, without knowing their their whole thing. Like, cause then at that point, you're just a transactionary person in my opinion. So for Dan and I, it's like, yeah, we love, I wanna know how many kids you got. I wanna know how freaking old they are. Because yeah, you might be sitting here in front of me and you're telling me how you wanna buy 10 to 15 properties, but guess what? Your daughter's gonna wanna buy a house. She ain't gonna qualify with her income, with the prices that they are now. So we need to now discuss, hey, when you, your daughter or your son are gonna be buying a house, when is that, how many years from now, and how are you gonna qualify for that? Because she's gonna need your help. So we actually love that part of our business because as opposed to just being like, they call you off your rate site because you've got the best rate, and then it's just this thing, and then it's, it's like, there's no loyalty there because the client's just going to whoever's got the best rate. Now it's like, we want to become part of your family. Like I want like when, I want like when you, you know, if you, if you get pulled over, I want you to call me after and like tell me. So I, I want to know everything. And it's funny, we, we always used an analogy for so many years, Dan and I, which was like, we're not mortgage brokers. We think of ourselves more as just life planners from the mortgage side. Um, you know, a mortgage broker to me is just like, you call, you get a good rate, da, da, da. No, the difference is like, you know how like athletes have their sports agent and the sports agent like handles like so many different things? It's because the athlete's really good at what they do, right? Well, we always thought we're the same in essence. Like the clients, because we're working with investors, they're a different type of breed of client, right? They need more guidance. They're also really busy. If they're investors, a lot of times it's they've got good jobs. They're making good money. They're really good at what they do. But now they want to take their money that they've made and invest it. So we're like, wait, that's similar to me. It's like an athlete. They start out, they get all this athletic ability. Now they go to the professional leagues and the league's paying them for what they do. But then what do you do with all this money? Same concept. So for us, it was like sports agents are like, for us, that's what we're like. We're like the mortgage broker. The clients, the investors are like the professional athlete and the banks are just the teams. So it was, we would say that to the client, be like, look, this is how we want our relationship to be. So I said, say, if you get in trouble, I need you to call me. You need to tell me because I need, I can't plan out your next bunch of moves without knowing everything that's going on in your life. So, I mean, that, right. that, that, pro that probably goes back to what you do, which is you need to learn their lives. You need right. to learn everything. So what are, what, are, what are some of the takeaways that you have? What, what are some of the key, key things, like someone wants to get in this, someone wants to buy, you know, a couple of properties? Well, I think it's, it's you know, you don't necessarily, we talk about, you know, how key the banks are when you're an investor, but you touched on it too, self-employed, right? Self-employed people don't necessarily fit in the box of an investor. And nowadays, you know, alternate lending, B lenders have become much more competitive. You know, back when Dave and I first started doing mortgages, um, B lending was more, you know, Oh my god! I got. I oh my god! I got to go to a B lender. My credit's bad, or you know, I have. I ha can't show any income. I I have to go to a B lender. It was a worst case scenario. But what we found, though, is you know, especially over the last few years, is the more the rates have come down, especially you know the, the bank rates, those B lender rates are way lower. You know, B lender used to be five six percent. You know, five five and a half. That was a normal rate. Nowadays, depending on the area, the location, because they're finicky on property. That's the, the that's their their focus. But you can get in somewhere around three three and a half, which is you know now you start to do the math of a self employed person. You know whether or not does it make more sense to claim the amount of income you need to claim to fit inside this bank box, pay tax on X amount of dollars just to say you have best rate and and cash flow monthly 
Or does it make more sense to stick with the B lender who's more favorable with income, who's not looking at your taxable income, and you can claim a much lower? Where, where, so to Dave and, and your point, JP, it's you know getting to know the client and understand what are their goals. So takeaways, I mean, look, you don't have to be an employee. You don't have to necessarily be a multimillionaire looking to invest. You just need a starting point. And a starting point is reaching out to somebody like Dave and myself, people like you guys who specialize maybe with clients that are looking to add real estate, investment clubs. There's some great investment clubs that give support from start to finish and start, you know, start the process and get in contact with, you know, good people, build your team. That's the takeaway for sure. Just, just do it. Just do it, man. <laughs> yeah. Heard that before. <laughs> Someone wise, I think, has yeah. said that. Sorry, I'm gonna, Mikey. <laughs> I'm going to copyright that. Yeah. All right. Well, Fine. thanks Thanks for coming in. I mean, you guys thanks, have helped guys. us. You guys have helped, uh, you know, hundreds of our clients over the so years. So many, yeah. Oh, um, we appreciate you it. You guys are awesome. And, and you know, keep it going. And, and we'll keep sending stuff to you guys. Uh, Thank you. Thanks Can we come guys. in for more of these podcasts? I don't know if the listeners know how nice of a room yeah, a nice we have. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Do we have to leave melting. right away or can we hang out for <laughs> you a can bit? Hang out, have I've, I've melted into this chair. There's a Sonos system over the big screen over here. So, <laughs> nice. I mean, uh, if, if you guys don't mind, please bring us back yeah, for sure. Awesome. But nice. where, where can everybody find you guys? Yeah. Um, we guys, Because we have such an interesting story, we don't have a website yet after all this time and everything else. Um, you can get us at uh, email info at bmselect.ca or old school give us a call one triple eight six eight four eight three two six and we're on social media i think so i think we're we're maybe that's the next podcast we'll do with you guys is how does the number one mortgage broker team in canada not have really much social media not have a website and not mind their database for the last 12 years right there you go relationships yeah (laughs) yeah all right thanks guys thank you guys